Okay, I've got my mic on, my lapel mic. I wanted to uh, give special thanks uh, this week. We've, we've had an unusual week, a different week this week because of the passing of a young man, uh, Brock, who uh, passed away actually a week ago today. He went home to be with Jesus, and uh, he's with the Lord. His mom and dad is here today. We just uh, love them. Uh, they're part of our spiritual family here. But uh, I, I want to just announce to everybody that Brock is with Jesus today. Amen. Amen. That's the most important thing. And uh, I wanted to uh, also, I want to just uh, just commend this congregation. I, I want to just thank all of you for just serving and helping us with the, uh, with the, the meals, the rearranging of the chairs for the different services we had this week. Just you guys just poured out and gave, and plus we celebrated Bill and Judy's 25th anniversary yesterday, uh, their silver anniversary, and just all of these things happening in our church family. And I want to personally just thank all of you for serving and giving and coming, and it's just, that's what family's all about, isn't it? Amen. We celebrate each other, we celebrate working together, serving the Lord together, And I wanted to just personally let you know how much we appreciate that. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Got a little feedback up here, if we could shut the head down here. I I want you to jump with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. For a few minutes, I want to uh, address something. I I want to talk about God's answer for suicide. I want to deal with that. I want to talk about what happens I know that uh, a lot of people, and I also, if I had another subtitle uh, beyond that, I want to talk about declaring war on depression. And uh, I, I was uh, amazed to find out that about three, uh, about 75% of Americans in America su- suffer from some form of depression. And uh, that's a serious problem. And that also goes and stretches with even in the church. Uh, One thing that I want to uh, announce uh, that is uh, probably contrary to some of the news and information that you might have heard from doctors or television, many clinical psychiatrists and psychologists would like to suggest that depression is some form of a disease. Uh, I... I uh, dispute that. I believe the Bible disputes it because a disease is something that you cannot control. A disease is something that happens in your life that you are simply a victim of. I know that we can all be victims of circumstances and things like that, but I do believe that true depression from a spiritual standpoint, when we look at the, the problem, it's, it, it is really an attack against you. It is a spiritual attack that comes in the form of thoughts or it comes in the form of certain emotions that are being aroused in your heart and your mind when an individual feels that they are overwhelmed, maybe with fear. Maybe they feel that they just do not have the strength within themselves to battle uh, uh, certain situations that are coming in their life. And I, I believe that God has given us the tools, he's given us the weapons to fight and to war a good warfare. Can you say amen? Amen. It's important that we as believers know how to battle 
uh, things that come against our life. And I, I'm, I'm speaking to all of us as a church. I know that, I, first of all, I want to say that it's uh, absolutely understanding, uh, understandable and, it's, and it's, uh, there's, there needs to be grace given when, when things come into our lives and we suffer loss, such as the loss of a child or the loss of anything in our life. The Lord understands that there's a grieving time. And grieving should happen. People should grieve. People uh, should be consoled. They should be ministered to. They should be supported. And that's what we as a church family do. We need, we need to support one another. I've had many of you call this week and just say, Pastor, how, do, how does one move forward when facing major situations in our life? I don't want to deal with it. How do we move forward? How do we as believers pick ourselves up. How, how does that happen? And that's a really important thing. And I believe that the answers that God's Word gives to us really is what we, we prepare ourselves. It's how we are equipped to do battle. Because the devil comes. The devil's uh, objective, and said in John 10, 10, Jesus said it, the thief comes not but to kill, steal, and destroy But Jesus said, I come that you might have life. Amen. And we need to realize that any time the devil comes or any time there's a thought, any time there's an aggressive persuasion that comes into your mind or your heart that would seek to destroy you, whether it's in your body, your mind, your life, separate you, isolate you, anything that would seem to bring division, In your marriage, bring divisiveness in the body of Christ. Anything that would seek to tear you apart, tear you down. I want you to realize that's not from God. It's from the enemy. It's from the devil. It's not just some kind of an emotional, psychological problem that that is happening in your life. It's not because you're a mistake. It's not because that you've been born on the wrong side of the tracks. There's no such thing as a a, a person that has been born or created in the image of God that is some form of a mistake or an accident. You're not a handicap. You're not an individual that God has created in His image that has some kind of a problem. And that's not what you are. Our our society today, is, is their answers to the problems that we face today. And it's sad, but it's, it's the best they got because they do not recognize the spirit or the spiritual side of man. Man is trichotomous, spirit, soul, and body. They recognize, my, they recognize mind and body that we recognize and address mental and emotional issues in man's body and in his life. And we address physical issues. But many times in the, in the world of psychiatry and psychology, they do not address spiritual issues. And we believe that it's man's spiritual relationship. It's this man's spiritual life that really has an effect on his mind, his soul. It affects his mind, will, and his emotions. And it, it affects his sense of identity and who he is. And so one of the things I want to do as a pastor, and the Lord really laid this on my heart latter, the latter part of this week, to equip and to bring understanding as far as how we can deal when we come under attack with depression. 
One of the things that I want to just say, and I just want to say something briefly about suicide. I know it's very prevalent. In fact, uh, I was reading here by one particular doctor, Dr. Lewis Smeeds. He says this, that in our culture today, it says that uh, every 17 minutes, someone in America commits suicide. In North America, it says it's the third leading cause of death among 15 to 25-year-olds. College students are a great part. And also, it's the sixth leading cause of death between children, if you can imagine this, between 5 and 14 years of age. And one of the things that I, I think it's so important, it's been kind of a theology that's kind of buzzed around different streams and different churches, that, uh, that suicide is not a particular sin that can be forgiven because the person is already passed and because they cannot confess and pray and repent. Therefore, they say that it cannot be forgiven. Uh, we, we dispute that because, first of all, uh, suicide is not just simply a choice and it's not just simply an event that just takes place here and now. We believe that when God looks at man's life, he looks at his entire walk. And it's not just one choice that puts people over the edge. Many of us today, uh, when we think of suicide, there are six notable suicides in the Bible, mentioned in the Bible. One that is most notable is Judas Iscariot. We all know Judas. Judas in the night of the Passover, he betrayed the Lord, and what he did was he he went to the Sanhedrin and to the Roman guard, and he turned Jesus in for thirty pieces of silver. And uh, the, at the end of that, uh, Judas discovered that Jesus was not going to save himself. Ju- Jesus chose not to call the angels from heaven because really what the Sanhedrin was doing and the Pharisees was doing, they were manipulating Jesus by arresting him, hoping that Jesus would save himself and that he would call upon the fathers, that the angels would come. But Jesus didn't save himself. Jesus chose, Jesus said this actually, he said, no one takes my life. I give my life freely. I lay my life down. No one takes my life from me. So Jesus gave his life to be a ransom and atonement for all of us. Can you say amen? So thankful for that. But see, Judas sought to manipulate Jesus. And when he finds out that Jesus doesn't save himself, he's hit with this remorse. He's not really repentant. He's remorseful. And the Bible says he goes out and he hangs himself. Many people believe that that was the reason why he went Uh, The Bible says in John 17 that Jesus calls him the son of perdition. And that, of course, simply means that it was forecast, it was prophesied concerning Judas' death. Back in Psalms 109, other scriptures point this out concerning Judas, that he would come betray the very Christ. But the problem is, I, I would like to suggest to you folks that Judas' betrayal did not start at the night of his betrayal. In fact, Judas' betrayal really was all through the time that he had spent with Jesus throughout his 
his walk with Jesus on earth. In fact, Jesus, one time, when he was speaking to his disciples, he says, I have chosen all of you to be my disciples. But then Jesus says this, but one of you is a devil. That's what Jesus was remarking. And here's the reason why. is because throughout Jesus' ministry, while Judas was ministering with them, Judas continually rejected Jesus as the Lamb. You'll find out when one, one, one time in the mention of Scripture, uh, Mary, the sister of Martha, came in with an alabaster box, and we know the story how that Jesus was uh, there at dinner in their home, and Mary brings out this alabaster box, and she breaks the box open. It's a year's worth of wages for most people, very costly, very costly perfume, and she anoints the feet of Jesus, and she washes that perfume with her hair as she anoints Jesus, and she's in tears, and she's worshiping him right there in the presence of this group of people uh, in this house. And Judas speaks up, and he says, Why is this oil taken and wasted? At the feet of Jesus, should it not have been sold for 300 pence and the money given to the poor? And Jesus rebuked Judas and he says, the poor you have always with you. But she is doing this in preparations for the memorial of my death. Now, my point is this. You see, uh, betrayal in Judas's part wasn't just a one decisive act. It wasn't just one decision. It was because of something that was a problem in Judas's life. The problem was he refused to receive the goodness of God. He refused to receive all that Jesus was saying and doing. And what happened, he was building this rejection up to the point where even at the night of Passover, when Jesus was with his 12, and he says, this night, all of you, will scatter, for the shepherd will be smitten, the sheep will scatter. But then he said this, but one of you tonight will betray me. And listen to this. This this is so amazing. If the night of Passover, Jesus and the disciples are saying, Lord, who is it that will betray you? And Jesus said this, the one who dips with me in the cup. And when Judas takes the bread and he dips it in the cup, Jesus dips with him in the cup. And all of the disciples, including Judas notices this. Now think about this. Can you imagine being in that, that little dinner setting, the Passover dinner that they're celebrating, and as they're uh, going through that season, and Judas is pointed out that he's the one who would betray him. My point is this. Do you know that Jesus gave opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for Judas to change his course, but he refused to change his course. That was the problem. Judas had set his mind towards one thing, and that was to make Jesus a political and a military Messiah. Because he so wanted change in the nation of Israel, they were so tired of the oppression of the Romans upon their back, and so he was part of a plan to make Jesus king and to force his hand. But when Jesus did not submit to it, but rather he surrendered to the Father's will to become the sacrifice lamb, Judas was overwhelmed by the guilt, and by virtue of that, he goes out and he takes his life. 
I honestly and personally do not believe that Judas was, went to hell because of suicide. In fact, there's no place in the Bible that says that. We believe that suicide, like any decision in life, is a choice. It may be a, a choice that is a sinful choice, but I want to read you a very powerful and promising scripture in Romans chapter 8. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning, uh, the very important promise that God lays out in His Word. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, verse 31, What then shall we say about these things, that if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered us, delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God, it is God who justifies. Verse 34, Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is He who is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who else makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, as it is written? For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through Him who loved us. Notice verse 38, key verse right here. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Notice verse 39. Nor height, nor depth. Do you know that depression has to do with people going into the depths of despair? Depression leads to suicide. Depression is the result of people feeling there is no way out. Depression is being overwhelmed by circumstances or by thoughts or being overwhelmed maybe even by the rejection of other people. You're so overwhelmed that you move into the, the depths of despair and despondency. My Bible says that neither height nor depth nor principality nor death shall be able to separate me from the love of God. That gives us a lot of hope, doesn't it, folks? Now, I'm not sitting here. Some of you may think, well, Pastor Ray, are you kind of given a big green light that it's okay to commit suicide? Of course not. That's not at all what we're saying. We do believe that there are people. I do believe we have a heavenly Father who does not judge us on a momentary lapse or a single solitary choice where we might momentarily move into an insanity or make a, an, an, an insane decision. And, and we lapse into insanity because we we're, are in the depths of despair. The Bible talks about, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I won't go there, but the Bible says that we will be judged by our walk. God looks at our entire life. Can you say amen? It's not based on one decision. There are a lot of great... I've known, I've known one pastor in my life that took his life. Up in, up in Olympia, Washington. A young man who took his life. It, it was found out he had a heroin addiction. And he was a youth pastor in a church. This was one my wife and I were 
uh, still back in our dating days, he was a youth pastor up in uh, Lacey, Washington, and he took his life. He went out in the back garage, out in the back forest, and he hung himself. But here was a young man who loved the Lord. He loved people. And he said, I can't, and it wrote a, a note, and he says, I can't take it any longer. He says, I, I fought this addiction with heroin, and he took his own life. And, and so many people came up to the family and, and, and started to uh, give them some seriously horrible counsel and say, oh, I'm so sorry, you lost your son eternally. That is just not true, folks. Because this man loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord with all of his heart. He, he had a momentary a lapse of depression, went into despondency, felt there was no hope. It's not that he gave up on God. He gave up on himself. But I want to tell you right now, that man is in the presence of the Lord. And my Bible says that neither life nor death, principality, height nor depth, shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And we need to give hope to this generation that people who have suffered these, these, these traumatic situations, that there is hope for people that have gone through deep despair. And by the way, we need to be very careful with our mouth. Don't you dare come up to someone and say, well, you obviously don't have enough faith. You don't have any right to rebuke or to bring allegations or accusation to some, against someone, especially when you have not walked in their shoes. And so we need to learn to control our mouth, and we need to learn to stop using the Bible as some kind of a weapon and some bring some correction in someone's faith because we don't think they have enough faith. You haven't been there. You haven't walked in their shoes. In my Bible, I believe we have a Heavenly Father who loves and knows our humanity. He knows our human frame. He's, he's very acquainted with our weaknesses. And my Bible says He stands to ever make intercession for on behalf of His people. That is living or dead. Our Father, he, he, our, uh, Jesus, ever makes intercession as our high priest. And so I, I wanted to start off with that this morning, letting you know that there are hope for those who are depressed. And we as believers need to be individuals who learn how to equip and empower people. Right now, folks, in America, all around us, in fact, there's not a person that you are not connected with, whether in your employment, in your family, that there's someone going through a season of depression where they're beginning to question uh, their future, they're questioning who they are, they're questioning their sense of value. Right now, every single one of you have someone around you like that. And we need to become aware. May the Lord lift the veil off our eyes to help us to recognize these issues and needs around us. Amen? We're not just here having church for the sake of church and to go out and live our life and, you know, do our job and watch our games and play our life and do that. God has come to equip us to be agents to go out and bring the redeeming uh, grace and the love of God to a world that feels depressed, lost without cause, lost without vision, and to give them a sense of encouragement and vision and purpose. Because we have a Father who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so I, I just say that to you uh, as a word of counsel this morning, that let's be very careful with what we, ne- what we say and what we know. Amen? We need to be agents of comfort. We need to be agents of encouragement. Jesus has not come to judge the world. 
Jesus says, I did not come to judge, but to seek and to save them that were lost. And that even means those who have been victimized either by suicide or either in depression right now. Now, I w- let, let me talk a little bit. And I want you to jump with me for a few minutes back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to move really quickly in the life of David. David was considered a king. He was a man after God's own heart. And here in his life, he suffers some very, very serious depression. He's a man who has not become king yet. He's on his way to the throne. He's been running from Saul for 30 years. That's 1 Samuel 30. He's been running from Saul for about 30 years. The armies of Saul are defecting from from Saul. The armies of Saul are defecting. And they become David's, what, what was referred to in Samuel and Chronicles, is David's mighty men of valor. And David right here, is, uh, he's, he's been running from Saul about 15 years, and it's right before David was about ready to be anointed king in Jerusalem. How many of you know that the devil is going to throw all he ha- has against you right before God begins to do something big in your life? Anytime God is getting ready to do something great, I guarantee you all hell will break loose against you. See, this is a, if you go into the chapters, you'll find the next chapter or two, David, uh, Saul will commit suicide, actually. This is one of the other six. Saul here commits suicide. He falls on his own sword because he went to the witch of Endor and God began to speak through Samuel that, that God would no longer listen to him. And this is the reason why. God said to Saul, he says, because you've rejected me, I've rejected you. God said, because you won't heed my word, I will not answer you. And the Bible says that God refused to answer Saul anymore through dreams or visions or through the words of prophets. So Saul ends up going to a witch. By the way, Christians, do not read horoscopes. Keep away from witches. Keep away from tarot cards. You start reading that stuff, you will open yourself to spirits. Christians should have nothing to do with that stuff. Oh, Pastor Ray, it's just a game. It's not a game. You are open yourself up to demonic oppression, open to a demonic assault and attack. And what the devil does, listen to me, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's why I'm telling people, man, you need to be in the house of the Lord. You need to be getting the word of God. Because if you don't have the word of God, you will not be able to fight in the evil day, the Bible says. We need to have the sword of the Spirit. But, but David here, he's going into battle against the Amalekites, or against the Philistines, I should say. Let's just read a couple of verses here. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It happened that when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there, and from great to small, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. In other words, they basically kidnapped their family. Can you imagine this? All the men are out the war, and, and the Amalekites come into this little village where David and, the, and their families and all the mighty men of valor and their families, their children, their wives are, and, and these guys kidnap them. Just take him, hostage, carried him away. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. They came back from battle, and there their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept 
until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, uh, Abigail and Hinnom, the Jezreelites, had been taken captive. He had two wives there. Verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. This is his own people here. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest and Abimelech's son, Please bring me the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue my enemy? Will I overtake them? And he answered them, say, pursue. Everyone say, pursue. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Everyone say, recover all. How many of you like that kind of news? When the enemy comes in like the flood, the word of the Lord has said, David, I want you to pursue and I want you to know that you are going to recover all that the enemy has. In other words, what the devil meant for evil, God's going to turn it around, bring good out of it. And I believe that God is going to do that in this house. I believe that's going to happen with Dana and David. And I, I just want to say to you guys, you've been awesome. I believe God's going to launch something in your life, in your marriage. God is going to use you guys in ways. And ahead, David, I'm not kidding you. I, I believe God's going to use you to address depression, the spirit of suicide that is actually, there's been a spirit on our nation. I believe God's going to give you guys tools and God's going to give you access because you walked this, walked this path. I really believe that. God's going to use you guys in a mighty way. But, but here we find that David has been overtaken. Let me just say this. There are four things. I want to give you some points this morning. Four things that we need to do when we're under depression, when we've come under depression. Number one, the first thing we need to realize is we've been attacked by the enemy. And I think we need to realize, too, that it's not just a disease. You need to recognize that when you begin to think thoughts that are negative, thoughts that are divisive, anytime you begin to think any thoughts that are destructive, Thoughts that isolate you, that overwhelm you. Folks, that's not of God. And that's not just some kind of bad thinking. You are under an attack of the enemy. You need to learn how to put on the whole armor of God. I'm under an attack. Anything that seems to question your integrity, question your character, begins to assault you and say you're a victim, you're a second-hand individual, God has forgotten you, God has not remembered you, that is from the enemy. It is from the devil. His, his attack, his, his, his attempt is to wear you down. That's these are the stages that lead people into depression. But you need to understand the source of where this is coming from. You need to call a duck a duck. You need to call it for what it is. It's not a disease. Let me tell you what happens when people start calling things like this a disease. You know what happens? One of the biggest problems today in our culture, and I, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on a little bit of uh, territory here I want to be careful on. I'm, I'm all for medicine. I'm all for doctors. But I am not for dealing with depression by simply just medicating you. 
Because let me tell you what medication does. I'm all for medication. I understand there are times where people literally do have chemical imbalances and they need certain medication to bring them back into balance. Absolutely, no problem with that. But when a doctor prescribes something to you that puts you in a zombie-like state and your mind becomes so dependent on a particular drug where you are not functioning at your highest and your best potential, I want to tell you, that's not from God. It's not from God. God never intended for you to become just some medically numb, where you're so medically numb from things around you. God intends for you to be alert, be sharp, be intact, be strong, be, and, and not be just so shaken because of the certain drugs that they give you, antidepressants. I understand there's a time and a place at times for these things. But if you are on this stuff for a long seasons, it is actually going to make you worse. It doesn't make you any better. I know that some of you may not, amen, agree with me, and I might have stepped on some toes, but Jesus, heal their toes right now. In Jesus' name. Heal their toes. I just want you to know, number one, we need to identify and call it for what it is. It's an attack. Number two, we need to take inventory of our soul. Is my soul healthy? When people are depressed, it's because they're unhealthy. They've not been feeding their faith. The reason why people get depressed is because they dwell on the negative. They dwell on what the enemy has done and what others have done. Or they have an offense that they've buried and they're angry. The third thing that will happen because of depression is people move into an isolation, isolated state. They isolate, they withdraw, and they get alone. The worst thing you can do when you're depressed is to stay alone. That's how the devil works on you the worst. Do not get alone. You have a pastor, I just don't trust anybody. It's another lie of the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. Yeah, but I just don't trust churches. I don't trust pastors. I don't trust counselors. I don't trust people. And so the devil feeds you these lies. I'm going to tell you, there there may be bad preachers and there may be bad people and there's always bad people around you, but there's also solid, healthy people that love you, that care for you, and you need to search until you find them. You need to keep looking, amen? See, this is what happens. There are people, the devil wants to get you alone. Why does he want you alone? Why does he want to isolate you? Because that is how he can overpower your thought life. And to get you to do destructive things when you're by yourself. That's what the devil does, is to get you by yourself and to get you thinking that you can do this in your own strength. You cannot fight the devil on your own. The reason why the Bible says he sent solitary in families is because I need another voice. I need someone else's insight. I'm so thankful I have uh, Lonnie and Dwight and Pastor John and, amen, Pastor Neam and Pastor James and, amen, Rand. I'm so glad I got brothers here that help speak into my life. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to live alone. I don't want to think alone. Pastor Ray needs, everyone say this big, awesome, powerful, great, glorious word. It's called accountability. Everyone say accountability. We need accountability. You need to be accountable. We, need, we don't want to be alone. We don't want to be isolated. We don't stand by ourselves. I need accountability. I need brothers and sisters pouring the word of God, pouring encouragement in my life. 
Now, David didn't have that. David is by himself here in this situation. And what happens is, actually, let me, let me give you the fourth thing here that we need to recognize is this, is that, uh, let, me, let me get to that. Okay, I lost my scripture here. Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay, that, that's it. So he isolated. Let, let's, let's go on to the scripture here. Notice what it says here right in verse 6. When David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved in every man for his sons and daughters. And I'll tell you, that, that's a difficult time. I love what it says here, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself. I want to give you four things. I'm going to close here. What it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord. The first thing that we see that David did was that David was, and you'll find this throughout Scripture, David was a worshiper. Everyone say worship. David was a worshiper. In other words, when I'm depressed, I need to get my focus on Jesus. Amen? I need to get my focus on Jesus. I need to get focused on Jesus, not my problem. I need to get focused on Him. And why is that? Because the, whatever I'm focused on is what is going to be magnified in my life. If you make the problem big, if you focus on the problem, that means the problem becomes big in your heart. If I focus on Jesus, guess what? The problem becomes smaller and smaller. See, David, the first thing David did was it said he strengthened himself in the Lord. I need, I need to get, everyone say, I need to get strong. Everyone say that. I need to get strong. David was distressed. Situation, circumstances beyond his own control took place. His family and his wife uh, uh, was stolen and kidnapped. Let me, let me give you something about the enemy. Keep your finger there in 1 Samuel 30, but I want you to jump back with me to Deuteronomy for a minute. Just jump with me to Deuteronomy 25. I want you to see something here about the enemy, the Amalekites. These, the Amalekites were the guys who kidnapped David's family and his mighty men. But listen to what God says to Moses about the Amalekites in verse 17. Deuteronomy 25, 17, it says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Notice what he's saying here. When God has brought a deliverance to you, guess what? The devil's there to meet you. When God ever sets you free from something, Amalek is there to meet you to somehow thwart and stop what God is doing. Notice verse 18. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks and all the stragglers at your rear guard when you were tired and weary and you did not fear God. Notice what he's saying. This enemy comes from behind. He attacks you from behind. He attacks you on your blind side. The Amalek that he's talking about, when David was in battle, doing the will of God, the enemy came and attacked him from behind. How many here have ever been attacked from behind? All of a sudden, you wake up one day and say, wow, where did that come from? How come that happened? You see, we need to understand that Amalek attacked him from, a t from behind. The third thing about Amalek 
is they will attack you and they will touch the ones that are closest to your heart. It says here that they attacked him and touched the stragglers and those that were weak. If the devil can't get to you, he will touch those that are closest to your heart because he wants to wear you down. And the last thing here about Amalek is that they begin to attack right after God had done a great work in their life. Three powerful truths about the enemy here in this passage. But coming back to 1 Samuel, first of all, number one, David, the Bible says, strengthened himself. He became a worshiper. And when he began to worship the Lord, something powerful happens, folks, when you were a worshiper. When you begin to worship God, guess what? You are focusing on Jesus, and guess what that does? That begins to strengthen your identity. David knew who he was. David was a covenant man. David understood that he was God's man. He was anointed. He was called. He was an Israelite. He was, he was called in God through the covenant that God made with Abraham and Moses that God said to Abraham, he said, you're going to be the head, not the tail. You'll be above only, not beneath. David understood his relationship. That's why his focus was on God. When you are attacked, we need to start declaring, wait a minute, devil. You're messing with the wrong guy. I'm a man of God, washed in the blood. I have been blessed. I have been chosen. I have been raised by his power. I am filled with the Holy Ghost. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And everything you come against me, you are messing with the wrong guy, devil. I am a man of God, washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost. I call demons out. I raise the dead. I heal the sick. You see, you need to reaffirm to yourself who you are. See, people that are depressed are depressed. Now listen, because of ignorance and because of choice. Do you know that victory and, and, and loss is a choice? In the kingdom of God, you can choose to lose or you can choose to win. You know what? Some of you may think, oh, pastor, it's not that simple. Oh, yes, it is. We are more than conquerors. That means that even no matter what the devil throws at us, we win. No matter what happens, we win. The devil can't defeat us. Now, I know that that doesn't sound very encouraging, especially when you're going through season. But here, David encouraged. He strengthened himself. I'm going to take you to a scripture here in a minute. The second thing that David did was David was a man of prayer. It says he inquired of the Lord. Everyone say prayer. David knew that when he began to pray, when you pray, guess what happens? You're going to move mountains. When you begin to pray and come into agreement, you begin to use the promises of God, you're going to shake some principalities and powers. When we come into the presence of the Lord, by the way, when I was worshiping this morning, you know what I was doing? I was declaring the kingdom of God come, thy will be done. This morning I was saying, Father, let your presence come. Lord, move mountains, shake, rattle, principalities. Let the river flow through the church. I'm not just standing there watching David sing. I'm a priest who's called to enter into the high praises of God, and I'm going to shake and rattle the powers of darkness. You've got to understand that you are dangerous. You are effective. You're not just called to come and just kind of sit and just kind of watch the show. No, you're here to move mountains. You're a priest. You're a king. You're a warrior. You're a mighty through God in the pulling down of strongholds. 
The devil wants the church quiet. The devil loves the church to be weak. The devil loves the church to think that it's a victim. You are not a victim. You are victorious. You are powerful. God has given you the Holy Spirit and no weapon formed against you will prosper. That's God's word. And David here, when he strengthens himself in the Lord and he begins to encourage himself, he goes to Abathar. And this is the third point I want to drive home here is that David pursued the promise. Everyone say pursue. He goes to the Lord, says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, pursue it. What am I supposed to pursue? You're supposed to pursue God's purpose in your life. You're to pursue the will of God. Every one of you this morning, God has a purpose for you. You're not here waiting for the rapture. You're not here waiting for Jesus to come. God has a purpose on this earth. God has put power in your mouth. He's put a wisdom in your heart. He's given you the power of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Spirit. And he wants you to pursue. And I love what Abathar told David as you go on. It says, and David, when you pursue the truth, you will without fail recover all. The fourth thing is this. When you pursue your enemy, you need to expect to win. How do you break the power of depression? You need to believe that before the battle starts, you've already won the battle. You need to expect. I expect God to move. I expect things to happen. Why? Because I'm going to start agreeing. I'm going to come into agreement with what the promises of God's word say. Amen. And you may, some of you, Pastor Ray, you're a little radical this morning. You bet. Because, folks, we are in a real battle. We are in a real battle. And by the way, the devil doesn't take hostages. The devil doesn't play games. The devil doesn't take a nap. The devil does not take a vacation. The devil will hunt you down, haunt you. He will work on you day and night. He will wear you down until you quit. And if you and I are not serious about what we're engaged with here, you get depressed. You find yourself moving into a place of isolation. But here's my point. And this is what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart on Friday. He said, Ray, I want you to tell New Life Fellowship. I want you to remind them that I've equipped them. I've given them an identity. I've given them a purpose. And the Bible says, I love it. I love what it says here down in verse. <clears throat> it says this. Let me go back here. In the first, it says that uh, in verse 30, it says uh, in 1 Samuel 30, where was my scripture here? Verse 18, it says, verse 17, Then David attacked from the twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. I love verse 18. It says, So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. Amen. David recovered all. Jump with me in closing into uh, Psalms 18. Psalms 18, my text, and I'm done here this morning. How do we battle? How do we deal with depression? 
This morning, the whole intent of this is to equip us this morning. I love what David says. This is one of these battles. He, he wrote these Psalms. He says this, verse eight, verse 1, chapter 18, I will love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and my horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. And he goes on here and talks about how the enemy and the sorrows of hell surrounded him. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God and he heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. And I love down here, if you come on down, <clears throat> verse 15, and then it says that as he was calling out to the Lord, it says, verse 14, and then the Lord sent his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance and vanished them. And the channels of the sea were broken up and the foundations of the world was uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, and at the blast of the breast of your nostril, nostrils. He sent from above and he took me and he drew me out of many waters and he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Can you say amen? God delights in you. He loves you this morning. He's here to deliver you. Notice what else he goes on to say. I love this. It says, verse down to verse 28, it says, For you will light my lamp, O Lord my God, will enlighten my darkness. For you, by you, I can run through a troop. I can leap over the wall. And as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He's a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to war so that my arms can bend the bow of a bronze. You have given me your shield of salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path underneath so my feet will not slip. I have pursued my enemies. I have overtaken them. Neither did I turn back against them until they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they will not rise. They have fallen under my feet and you have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me and, the, and have given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as dust before the wind and I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. And as soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away. They come frightened from the hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me above those who rise up against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give you thanks, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king. 
He shows mercy to his anointed and David and his descendants forevermore. Wow! I could not be depressed after reading that passage. I mean, you are more than conquerors. Can you say, let's all stand to our feet. I know I went a little over this morning, but I felt God is equipping us for great days ahead. Did you hear the prophetic word this morning? God has some amazing things he's going to do for us. How many of you know that even out of weakness, he makes us strong? Even through these seasons, God brings us out strong. And I believe, folks, that God is doing something. He's, he's moving in our hearts. Amen. I'd like you to take your neighbor by the hand. Can you do that with me this morning? Let's take each other by the hand. Maybe you might say, you know, Pastor Ray, I just, I just need the grace of God right now. I've been going through seasons, maybe, maybe a little bit of depression. Maybe there's some areas where you've had questions. We serve a God who loves you, cares about you. He's moved with compassion. He's with you. He's for you, not against you. Amen? Father, we thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for the life of David that you've given us in Scripture. Lord, such a powerful example. Lord, you've given us, Lord, the Holy Spirit. You come to just rapture us and empower us, Lord, with hope. Lord Jesus, even when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. And Lord, no matter what we're facing, whether it's a small issue or a large issue, whether it's from people, whether it's from within or without, Lord, you have come, Lord, to establish and to magnify your name even in my life in my home, in my marriage. Father, magnify your love and your name in us, Lord. Be glorified in us, Lord. Give strength to us all, Lord, this morning. We've had a difficult week. We've gone through a real season this week. But we know, Lord, that for your glory, all things are going to work together for good. Lord, we believe that. We give you praise. And everyone said... Amen. Turn to someone and give them a love this morning. God bless you in Jesus' name. If anyone would like prayer, feel free to come. Love to pray with you. Also, we could use some help in the ministry this afternoon in the uh, Harvest Festival. God bless you.